A dawn raid apology. It highlights the trauma and harm suffered. When you'll get your vaccine. I ask you to also be patient. And the return of the grip and grin. And welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here for One News. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And as usual, we're going to kick off our podcast with the highs and the lows, the peaks and the pits of the week. Jessica Much Mackay, take it away. So my peak this week was the about around the meeting between Biden and Putin and not quite the meeting itself, although that does excite me, but it was actually behind the scenes, the journalists from both camps ended up in a pushing-shoving match with uh, the security and the journalists on both Russia and the US side having a bit of a scuffle, and it got so bad that it drowned out what the leaders of the US and Russia were saying, and this just gives me... Uh, joy because, you know, we've been in lots of situations like that before where they do what we call a grip and grin, so they shake hands and smile um, and they pose for a photo and it's very, you know, orchestrated and the fact that the journalists and camera operators just couldn't even get it together to be able to capture that um, gives me quite a bit of pleasure and really sets the tone for the rest of the meeting. So (laughs) that was my peak of the week this week. Yeah, I remember being in Japan during the Prime Minister's Rugby World Cup tour there um, a couple of years back now and uh, we were all bunched into a small room ready to film the um, sort of bilateral meeting where they sit across the table from each other, um, the Prime Minister and Japanese um, the Japanese Prime Minister, um, and uh, our cameraman was stuck in a sea of local Japanese media, and there were quite a few elbows going on because he was quite a tall bloke, um, my cameraman, and they were all a bit shorter, and they were pretty much trying to shove him out of the way, so it was quite something. So I've seen that sort of thing happen before. My most ferocious <laughs> was in India. We went to a Bollywood event with John Key, and the I, I'm assuming the journalists wouldn't be paid or the cameraman wouldn't be paid if they didn't get the shot because there were elbows flying. There were it was just a it was just a sea and it made the New Zealand media look pretty tame and pretty passive in comparison. What about you? What was your peak? Um, my peak this week actually is seeing that Professor Michael Baker has been appointed onto the board of the New Zealand Drug Foundation. Um, so that just happened in the last couple of days. So a good get for the New Zealand Drug Foundation, I think, given um, his rise to stardom uh, over the COVID-19 um, pandemic. And also um, he's been calling for a sort of evidence-based approach to um, issues around drugs, uh, which I think brings a whole nother level of credibility um, to that argument um, and sort of uh, the war on drugs, if you like, and how that has failed miserably. And so um, it's good to see Professor Michael Baker up on that board. My pitch this week uh, happened at the weekend. It was the EV announcement. And the issue that I have with it is I'm just not quite sure if the carrot and the stick approach were the best Um, way to tackle this. I think it is quite a big issue and I think it's something that we really need to address as a country but I'm just not sure if penalising the other people is the best way to go about it. I just wonder if we should have looked at funding it in a different way. So I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity. I think that could have been a really exciting 
uh, policy for the government and just fell a bit flat. It's a policy that Labor and the Greens tried to bring in uh, during the last term of government and one which New Zealand first sort of quickly pulled the handbrake up on. Um, So interesting to see it go ahead without New Zealand first there. And speaking of New Zealand first, actually looking forward to heading to their conference in Auckland this weekend. We've got the New Zealand first AGM. um, So that's going to be fun. We have actually been invited there by Winston Peters on the Sunday to hear his address. Don't let him tell you otherwise. (laughs) And he's going to do a media stand-up. So it'll be good to hear from him, um, the first sort of proper interview and um, sort of um, setting out of the direction going forward from him since the dismal election result. But, yeah, um, interesting to see the Greens and Labour push ahead on that, although there aren't many other options, you know. If we want to take um, climate change seriously, then we have to make big moves. So I don't know. It's, you know, it's an argument on both sides, I guess. My pit this week um, is actually just looking at the huge number of COVID-19 cases cropping up in Fiji. I think in the last week we've seen sort of um, just over 100 cases reported daily. And so now they're sitting at just over 1,000 confirmed cases um, in Fiji and they've had 10 confirmed deaths um, since April in Fiji. So, you know, for a small island nation, that's devastating numbers for them. And I think it's really interesting from a geopolitical perspective as well, just how the Prime Minister has handled things, the Fijian Prime Minister has handled things. Uh, I talked to our Foreign Minister about that and she was very um, keen to distance herself from the way he's handled it without uh, criticising him directly because obviously it is a matter for Fiji. But we are you know, needing to help out and, and send over supplies and aid as we should in these situations. But I, you just, when you contrast... What, how New Zealand's handled it with how they are handling it, handling it in terms of the communication and talking to your um, people, there is quite a stark difference of things going on over there. So it, I think it's a really interesting topic. And just in keeping with the uh, Pacific Islands, um, our first topic to discuss today is obviously the biggest one of all this week, which is the government announcing that it will apologise for the dawn raids. You know, it's about time, I guess, for a lot of um, for a lot of um, the people in that community. Yeah, and I think it, this is a really interesting one. We'd been hearing murmurs of this for a little while and we were hearing out in the community that um, this was happening at Parliament, that we were going to get details. So we were able to break that a few hours early, which was good on the Monday to um, let people know that this was happening. And then later on in the afternoon, the Prime Minister came out and said, yes, we will be um, apologising and this is how it's going to work. She emphasised that it will be very traditional um, and, and making sure that it's culturally appropriate. So I think that will be important to a lot of people. But in that press conference on the Monday, there was a real... I mean, we we sit in those every week, sometimes a few times a week, and you get a feeling from them often when big things happen. And um, the Pacific People's Minister was there, and he remembers the dawn raids and remembers his dad being helpless in this situation and remembered, you know, the dogs coming in and the police coming in. And he issued, I think sometimes as journalists we ask questions on behalf of the public, but sometimes our tone is quite strong. And he sort of, after about three quarters of the way through the press conference, he said, look, I just want you guys to know that this is a big deal for a lot of people. And, you know, he he 
I think he understands how it works and the questions that we're asking, but he did want to set a tone in saying this is about the apology for a lot of people. And I thought um, it was really interesting to have his insight as the minister, but also from someone who'd personally gone through it. And I think uh, when that can happen at a government, when that voice is around the cabinet table, I do think it's really important. And you definitely got the sense from him that things weren't going far enough, but he was visibly upset and I think lots of people will have seen uh, that image with him and with the sign language interpreter Alan both feeling the weight and emotion of that announcement and as a journalist you know we're there to do a job we're in work mode I could feel that there as well it's a it's a big deal and it's a shame that it's taken so long to get here Uh, it's a shame that it's taken this government so long to get there but it's good that it's finally happening and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing that I think it will be a big moment. The government also um, made a point to clarify that issues around compensation and amnesty um, in terms of you know visas and and um, and so on going forward won't be something that will be addressed or considered. Um, Do you think that's why the minister felt that perhaps it didn't go far enough? Yeah, and I think um, he he was asked about that and said, well, look, you know, that my view on it will be different and was reasonably explicit with that. But I can also understand, and I think they they should be talked about together. I think, you know, when there's a wrong that has been done, there should be questions about compensation and there should be questions about about amnesties. I don't think we'd be doing our job properly if we didn't ask those mm-hmm. questions and really push them on that. The Greens are calling for that too, so there are voices inside and outside that are raising that issue. And I think just in terms of apologies, I think the next big sort of um, issue that will be pushed is an apology for um, Māori... Uh, Māori students who were punished at school for speaking te reo Māori. Um, I know that Dover Samuels, former Cabinet Minister for Labour, is pushing that um, strongly. I remember doing a story with him back in 2015 when I was with Native Affairs, doing a story about how he was one of the generation who were punished at school for speaking te reo Māori, and there were many, and there have been calls since then for an apology. So it's good to see um, the Dawn Raids apology recognised and um, put on the record and I think probably the next one for this government or the next government to consider is probably whether there is an official apology for, for the, to those children who were punished at school for speaking Māori so we'll keep an eye on that one. I think it's a really good one to push. I mm. think that it should be... I found it interesting as well it's only government apologies have a high threshold and it had only happened twice before and both were over the one with Samoa when when New Zealand was administering it. So there was that one. And then also to the Chinese community where there was the poll tax that had come in for Chinese migrants. So both things where the government just got it wrong in terms of of a group or a community. So I think... um, I think I was quite interested that it had only been done twice before. Now, another big issue this week was vaccines. Can you give us an update on that? You were across that. Yeah, so um, I feel like my stories all at the moment are either vaccine or COVID. That's that we have slugs in TV and that's the name of almost all of my stories. So yesterday we got the details about tier four. So that's for 
normal people. That's the best way to describe it. It's for everyone else. So what the government has decided is to do um, vaccinations by age groups. So it'll go down in five-year increments and you will get a text or an email that says, hey, it's your turn, please book in to have your vaccination. Now, people over 65 and emergency workers and and people in high-risk jobs, border workers, for example, are the focus at the moment, and then they're moving down those groups. Um, And I know my dad um, is getting his vaccination shortly, and he got an email and a text, and then you go, depending on your DHB, um, and you get your vaccination and um, you book in at a time that suits you. There's going to be a national program for how it will work. But one thing that I did think was interesting is that the under 35s, um, so I do not fit into that category, um, will be waiting till October. And I, I thought that that was quite an interesting point, and I put that to the I, – I got the reporter who was at that press conference to ask a question on that because I do feel like, though younger people are more likely to be at clubs, at bars, um, at big events, to be mixing and mingling, and I just wonder whether leaving that group to last – is the smartest. Now, the Prime Minister's argument is, of course, that it affects older people uh, more if they get it, which I totally appreciate. But I just wonder if that... um, And some of the voxies that we did on the street... People were saying, oh, look, I work in a bar and I Come feel like... Come contact with a lot of people. Yeah. So what what was your take on that? And also a lot of that younger generation are the ones who are, are travelling over in this Aussie bubble, for example, you know, going overseas and, um, you know, our camera operators, one of them went to Australia and a few of the journalists here at Parliament. All of those um, people fit in that under 35 category. So they are travelling once that, you know, trans-Tasman bubble opened. They are travelling and they are in bars and they are at shopping malls and they are, you know, in cafes and restaurants doing all of those things. So, I mean, I fit into that under 35 category. And when I first heard it, um, you know, because obviously you and Benedict were talking about it in the office and you two both fit and you're going to get your jab before me, I didn't mind myself personally because I feel so safe here in New Zealand because we don't have any community cases and so I'm feeling quite safe. Although I did have concern, you know, at the fact that I do have five children myself, so I want to be protected in order to protect them. So, um, yeah, I can see it from both sides of the argument. Um, I I do worry, though, if we do increase more travel, um, you know, beyond just the bubble before October, then I might feel a little bit more worried and I feel like perhaps those in my age group would probably feel the same. But at the moment, you know, you feel quite safe because we are doing quite well in terms of keeping COVID out. Um, so I'm not too fussed. No, and I don't think that anyone would argue that people over 65 shouldn't be first. Like, I think that's a no-brainer for everyone, right? But I just think that I just wonder if leaving... Um, the young that younger age group to last is smartest or whether there should be a, some other kind of prioritization now it's complex and difficult but i did i just think it was a, it raised some really interesting 
really interesting questions and points. It's going to be, um, you know, such an interesting rollout to yeah. watch because it's going to be a big test, for, as we've said before in this podcast, it's going to be a big test for the government as to whether or not it can roll this general vaccination period out adequately. Um, and, you know, time will tell, I guess, but it's the pressure's on now. Absolutely, and I think that that um, older age group were the guinea pigs for lots of things. And now that we're going into that, mass vaccination stage uh, they're going to have one big booking system so it's not going to be dependent on DHB so I think that will help the process um, I think that you because it's national and you'll get so whether you're in Northland or in Southland you'll get that um, you know you're and you're 47 you know where you fit mm. in the date schedule and I think that's helpful but they also are going to go let's say um, you know we saw Stewart Island for example um, they will just go to Stewart Island and do all of those vaccinations there so there will be exceptions to that which just makes sense so yeah I just think it's a fascinating fascinating um, logistical issue so we we shall see how it all rolls yeah, out. I've seen on Twitter a couple of people have already said oh my partner and I have gotten a text from um, from our GP saying we're, we're up next in the next category so get ready to get the jab so yeah. it's definitely starting to um, you know ramp up now. Um, in terms of uh, well, COVID and all of the things actually, um, world leaders, um, you know, they all came together. We saw the G7 um, summit and, um, you know, the Queen. And, and the Queen. And coming coming from that um, G7 summit, though, who was it? ScoMo and Scott Morrison um, and Boris Johnson uh, coming out, shaking hands over a free trade deal between the UK and Australia. Pipping us at the post. <laughs> Pipping us at the post, which doesn't come as too much as a, of a surprise because um, Damien O'Connor, our uh, trade minister here, had sort of signalled that um, a couple of days beforehand, saying that yes, we you know expected to be the first cab off the rank, but actually it's looking like that won't be the case, and it's looking like perhaps we might get our deal signed off by the end of the year. But even that is you know sort of uh, not wishful thinking, but a sort of a lofty goal to to kind of meet and he didn't want to put pressure on um, the negotiators at the table to get that deal done because they keep saying that, you know, we want a quality deal, not a fast deal. And um, I think what Damien O'Connor said is that a lot of what the UK has put on the table to date hasn't been that great. Um, but you've also been looking at this issue as well. Yeah, and I think it's a really important one for New Zealand. And I think the sticking points for Australia are... are some are similar and some are quite different to what New Zealand um, will be grappling with. So I, you know, we can't, it's not an apple for apple comparison and I totally appreciate that. I just think that New Zealand has always been, um, has sort of prided itself on being first with an, for China, for example, and then creating a blueprint for other countries. And I think because we were um, first to start negotiating, um, I think it's a shame that we weren't able to secure that sooner and maybe it's just because it's Australia you know it's just irritating that they get in first um, but I did think it was a really interesting issue and what was really really cool because when I was um, Europe correspondent the New Zealand High Commission actually has the most amazing building in the whole of London like the view you get the London Eye you, it is spectacular and it's called the penthouse and you, it's right at the top and that's where they have 
um, gatherings and functions and quite often there's a deck there and you, you do interviews there and it was really cool to see um, the minister doing the interview there because I just remember doing heaps and they the camera operator sh- um, framed it in a really beautiful way to get the vista of of um, London in the background and it just makes you think gosh he's travelling again yep he's going to have to do two weeks of quarantine but kind of a big milestone our first big visit I guess overseas so yeah yeah, I do think the pressure is on now for us to get the deal across the line by the end. Because with Aus- Australia, I mean, we're in June. Australia has its deal. If we can't even get one by the end of the year, it's not a good look. And like you say, we do have a close relationship with the UK. And, you know, although Australia's economy is, is much larger than ours, we are very similar with Australia. And so, you know, it, how can it be that hard to get a deal across the line with New Zealand and the UK. I mean, Australia has um, arranged for it to go down to zero tariffs over after 15 years, um, and I know New Zealand is quite keen to get that at least. Um, is it that we're not even being offered 15 years? Are they trying to offer us 20 or 25? And, and that's not going to go down well with our exporters and our industries here. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's pressure on us, but it's also pressure on the UK to to show us a bit of respect yeah, <laughs> in the words of Damien you. O'Connor but maybe his small. advice to Australia in terms of China um, I hope that Damien O'Connor brings out the word respect um, as while he was over there yeah. But, yeah. but I think it just the sticking point with Australia is of course um, the farming and agriculture sector and that that's one of ours as well and if they were able to iron it out it'll be interesting we didn't when we were doing the story earlier in the week the details of the Australian deal hadn't been released yet so I can imagine that the New Zealand um, negotiators will be poring over every little word in that agreement and then using that for ours so in that way I guess it gives us a little bit more information but we had that we also had um, the Putin and um Biden meeting up. Um, I think it's the second time they've met when when Biden was, um, I was going to say associate president, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Vice president is the word I'm looking for. Uh, and it's just really interesting, the relationship change from Donald Trump to, which was argued to be one of the, a really challenging meeting mm. um, when he was the president and to now. So I, I just find all of that stuff really interesting and really fascinating so it's good we're getting back to it yep and Jacinda Ardern will be in Australia soon yeah a couple of weeks away Mm. so and we've had recess um, here at Parliament this week um, so uh, a little bit of a break but um, not too much but we're back um, everyone's back sitting next week for a three week block which is quite a long uh, run so um, we'll have plenty more to tell you all next week in our podcast but just before we wrap up we do have an important announcement to make you guys don't often see or hear from people behind the scenes but the producer of this podcast is Adam Simpson and he is celebrating 20 years at TVNZ and that is no mean feat and we just wanted to firstly acknowledge him for all the work that he does on this and wanted to ask if he could just take off his headphones and come over here and we just have a very small token of our appreciation. Adam does heaps of work for us, not just on this podcast but for the news. Come around and, here and get yeah, your face here. on the... Uh... And he's done two decades um, making... 
TV stories and getting information out to you guys. So we just wanted to say a little gesture of appreciation and to say thank you, and we can't do it without you. As you know, we fall apart. All right, no, thank you very much. Uh, and now read the outro. Yeah, and, and now he's going to have to edit that back in. <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, this is One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and you can catch us around this time each week on One News uh, online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app.